This week on episode 491 of Priority One, we trek out a couple of interviews with Star Trek's Doug Jones and Sir Patrick Stewart, Shabon fleshes out some Troy Riker backstory, Star Trek gaming has been quiet over the holidays, but Star Trek Adventures isn't oblivious to how tabletop gaming has been affected by COVID. Later, we review Star Trek Discovery's episode, There is a Tide. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 491 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded live on Tuesday, January 5th, 2021, and available for download or streaming on Friday, January 8th at Priority One Podcast. Dot com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. And Tony is out this week. He just found out that he's allergic to Retinax 5. But filling in is old new Tony. Or as I like to call myself, the EHH, Emergency Host Hologram. Please state the nature of the podcast emergency. Well, Anthony, Happy New Year, sir. Thank you for filling in for Tony this week. If there was anyone passionate about Star Trek that I would be comfortable filling in his shoes, it's you. Well, thank you. It's great to be back and glad to see you guys. All right, let's jump right in, shall we? Captains, each week between episodes, we love to engage in conversations with you, our listeners, on places like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So if you aren't already following us on any of those, be sure to look us up. There we post things like community questions, special announcements, and more. Just search for Priority One Podcast on your favorite social media app and and you'll find us. Or email us. You can reach us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, you might have already listened to our end-of-year blooper special. And in that episode, I take a moment to really appreciate and be grateful for the amazing accomplishments that we do here at Priority One Podcast. We are all a community of volunteers supported by a community of like-minded fans and every moment every podcast is worth it if not just to communicate and chat with you and share in the passion of star trek and so thank you again for your loyalty for your ongoing support of our podcast and a shout out to our patrons all of them who on a monthly basis believe in our show enough and find value in our show enough to offer a financial contribution each month via patreon.com if you'd like to join the community we're always looking for audio editors who can spare two or three hours a week to help edit one of our segments or if you're into video editing someone who might be willing to clean up the live stream so that we can publish it as a video companion to the podcast reach on out to us because we'd love to hear from you as the new year begins it's important that we talk the talk for some important causes and now it's time to walk the walk and make changes to the show that reflect our commitment to inclusivity we're looking for a new host to join us every week to talk about the latest and greatest from the star trek multiverse so if you've got a lot to say and think you've got what it takes to verbally spar with the three of us now's your chance to throw your hat into the ring captains 
it's unacceptable that I'm the closest thing that passes as a minority. I am, yes, Cuban-American, first born here in the United States, but the glory of Star Trek is about its vision of equitability, equality, and inclusivity, that the future is mixed. So we can do better, and we hope that you might be interested in joining our team. If you're interested, visit PriorityOnePodcast.com, and up at the very top, there's a link that says join the team, and at the bottom of that page is a form, a handy form for you to fill out to express interest in joining our production as a host. Or email us, incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now, let's check out all the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. On the heels of Star Trek Discovery's third season episode titled Sukal, Doug Jones is granted the opportunity to perform without layers of makeup. IO9's James Whitbrook sat down with the actor to discuss his character's journey and relationships aboard the Discovery. Though it's a bit of a puff piece interview, it definitely provides an opportunity to look at the character of Saru through Jones's perspective. For instance, when asked about being the first alien captain of a title ship, Jones replied, quote, Don't think the gravity of that is lost on me. I know being the captain of a title starship in a Star Trek series, it's a badge of honor. It's huge for me. But then, also to be the first alien in that position is also... Wow. There's a little bit of TV history here. And to be a part of that is truly, truly a humbling honor. End quote. Now, this got me thinking. Are Discovery viewers already immortalizing Saru in the same way that we do Kirk, Picard, Janeway, Cisco? Like, for me, he's not yet there, right? And I think that's holding me back. Perhaps even the way the writers have written his arc is what's holding me back from seeing him like that kind of captain. What do you guys think? Well, the others were already captains when the shows started. I don't know if we've made that point. I mean, we do see in the movie where Kirk starts to take command, but that's not the same thing as show Kirk. Um, So they were already established captains, so there's no, like, we didn't get to see them screw up or make a wrong decision or do anything that they questioned themselves at, because at their point in their careers, they were past that. Yeah, exactly. You know, we're we're getting to see the title captain in the the infancy of their career and it's interesting it's it's cool because you get to see the struggles and the mistakes and the learning and i think that's the real reason why we're not you know putting him up there on the pedestal with the rest of those captains it's not that i don't think it's because his arc is written differently or poorly it's because that's where his character is in his career as opposed to those other captains i want to clarify when i say that he's written poorly it's more that and i said this a few episodes ago and i can't remember if i said it in after hours or if i said it in one of our previous episodes is that the way he's written seems a little too bumbly not like not campy bumbly but insecure highly insecure and i'm kind of hoping that before the season ends we get a moment where saru becomes captain right that there's something that he does to really elevate himself into that position of authority and confidence and preparedness but the interview continued and interestingly the follow-up dives into jones's preparation for the role where some actors are given an opportunity to explore a long arc with writers jones prefers to explore the character much like we the audience do episode by episode telling io9 quote 
I've chosen to be, well, give me the essentials I might need to prepare for. Otherwise, episode by episode, I'm fine. When I get a script, I'm like, ooh, what's this? Ooh, what's this one? I have no idea what's coming. So when I first signed my first contract for the show, season one, I was Lieutenant Commander Saru, science officer on the starship Shenzo. I had no idea what was coming, end quote. That's pretty interesting. Like, he, they don't tell him, like, what's happening for him or how... He, he doesn't ask. I mean, how he's going to prepare. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's good to be surprised. You know, I got to say, from an actor's perspective, I can kind of appreciate that. But nah, nah, nah. I like I if I'm looking at this right, if I'm approaching it from a script analysis point of view, I can see why he wants to stay in the moment, right? Why he wants to always be present and reactive to the moment, right? There's the ongoing joke that acting is acting is reacting, right? So that's not a joke. I can some I can appreciate that, but at the same time, this character already exists, and I'm just a vessel for the character and the writer's storytelling. So I. I kind of want to be a few steps ahead so that I can prepare myself. I can see the benefit of both sides. I think it, it possibly could also come down to they just are not that far ahead in the scripts. I'm sure they, they have three or four ahead, but maybe they don't know where that final arc is going in time to even discuss it. You know? I don't think they know where the final arc of anything is going, Anthony. <laughs> well, and he's a new alien species, which we've never seen before. So I don't know that anyone knew much about what they're supposed to be like or you know how they're supposed to deal with things but for Saru I thought he always kind of remember in the first season where he was like computer put in the qualities of or show me all the captains and their qualities and what made them so awesome I mean although he didn't listen to it to evaluate his performance but he still was questioning like whether he was going to do a good job even back then so maybe it's some consistency and now that he really is the captain he's like oh my god It's hitting him. Well, that brings us to our first community question this week. Is Saru at the level of reverence that we have for Kirk, Picard, Janeway, Cisco? Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by replying to our social media posts on our social media channels like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. In another interview, NPR's Sam Breiger of Fresh Air spoke with Sir Patrick Stewart back in July about his reprisal of Jean-Luc Picard in the new series Star Trek Picard on CBS All Access. During the interview, Breiger asked Sir Patrick if he had revisited some old episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation to brush up on the character, to which Sir Patrick replied... I, from the very beginning, once I'd said, okay, I'm on board, there was not a day when I didn't think, okay, this evening, right, I'm going <laughs> to sit down, I'm going to watch Encounter at Farpoint, which was our pilot episode of the series, and um, I never did. I ended up never watching a moment of Next Generation because... Okay, I would have been reminded of some things that I'd forgotten, but that character was inside me. Given the plot to season one of Star Trek Picard surrounding AI, NPR's Breiger then played Picard's monologue from TNG's Measure of a Man. Despite not having heard himself deliver the speech in over 30 years, Sir Patrick had quite a bit to say about his own performance. But that's not the interesting part of his reply. When reflecting upon that speech, he recalled a conversation with Whoopi Goldberg. And uh, I'm also very impressed with the terrific piece of writing, and I don't know who was responsible for that speech, but I've got a feeling that there is one word in what we've just heard that actually didn't belong to one of the writers. 
I used the word slavery at one point, and that word was given me by Whoopi Goldberg. I remember when she and I, I think it might have been the same episode, The Measure of a Man. I think it could have been when Whoopi and I had a scene in the bar of 10 Forward. And in a break, Whoopi said to me, you know, what, what we're actually talking about here is slavery. And I think it wouldn't be a mistake to introduce that. And so I, I think that was why that word cropped up. And I was so thrilled that Whoopi had proposed it and so proud that everyone approved it and it went into the episode. The interview goes on to discuss Sir Patrick's personal life, including his youth and his relationship with his father, who likely suffered PTSD after serving in the war, his start in acting, and what's different for him now as an 80-year-old actor versus when he was 35. It's a fascinating insight into the man, so be sure to listen to the entire interview over at NPR. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. So this interview is not, it, it's a, it's got a really good balance between Sir Patrick, the person, Sir Patrick, the actor, and Sir Patrick, the Picard, right? And it's only 17 minutes long. It's under 20 minutes. So I strongly encourage you to listen to the entire interview. I don't know that I've ever heard him tell that story about the conversation with Whoopi and not being afraid of using the word slavery in describing what was happening in that episode. Now, then again, it might not have not even been this episode and he might be you know, recalling it incorrectly. What's important there is the conversations that the actors were having when the cameras weren't rolling, that they weren't afraid to have these types of conversations, and that Whoopi was there to say, no, no, call it what it is. Let's not try to sugarcoat it. Let's not try to shy away from these things the way the way we do in real life. Let's let's be real, you know? Oh, right. Falsehoods, calling them not lies. Right, right. <laughs> Untruths. And and I got to tell you, when he starts to get personal in the interview, it's it's really refreshing. And again, you know, I, no, I'm not to the level of Sir Patrick Stewart. You know, I'm not a knight. But I dabble in acting, right? And what I really appreciated was how he opened up about why he pursued acting. You know, he, he, he said, quote, I felt safer. And I mean, literally, physically, emotionally safer than I had ever felt in my life. And he's describing when he's on stage. And I totally empathize with that. I grew up in a difficult home. I grew up always anxious with, with symptoms of OCD. And when I was on stage, when I was performing, all of that went away. All of that goes away. I'm still, I still have anxiety. I still take medication for anxiety. And all of that goes away the moment I put on a role, the moment the piano starts, the moment I am on stage. So it's refreshing when an actor like, like of his caliber shares that kind of thing because it makes me go, wow, yeah, me too. Aw, that's nice. Plus, he's just an awesome person. Yeah. Star Trek's had more than hundreds of writers over 50 years to invent its worlds and try to flesh out their inhabitants. So, color us impressed and heartbroken that Thaddeus Troy Riker invented an entire planet before he could have gotten a 21st century driver's license. Picard's season one showrunner, Michael Chabon, took to Medium to expand on Thad's early life aboard the Titan, briefly mentioned in the episode Nepenthe, and his formative interactions with its diverse crew. It'd be in that early life where home began at a fore and ended at aft that the linguistic prodigy started building his own homeworld. 
And as a natural linguist, he started with its language, Kelu, based on the crew's own native languages and eventually adopted as the ship's unofficial slang. Before his early death, Thad would build his fictional world of Ardani based on this early exercise in, well, world building. And when we say world, we're not talking Ardani's mere geography. It's resident civilizations, six in total, their languages, six plus the four spoken by non-humanoid animal species, and over 5,000 years of shared culture and political history. The link will be in the show notes. There's a Tolkien-esque level of socio-political analysis to go through. Now, Elio, I remember you being unsatisfied by story content like this being put in novels and comics like Countdown rather than on the actual shows. Nothing in Shabon's post is important to understanding Picard, and we never even get to meet Thad in the show because his terminal case of plot syndrome. But do we leave Ardani feeling enlightened by what we've learned about the show or frustrated by what we couldn't have in its 13-episode season? That's a good question. Uh, Panda, I mean, Anthony. Thank you. No, uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I, it's it's fun that, you know, Shabon, he's, he's a writer, right? This is what he does. And so it's fun to see that he took the time to flesh this out, right? To give us a backstory, to give us something like this. Um, you know, a new book just released today uh, about the Riker Troy life, right? Aboard the Titan. And I'm looking forward to reading that for the same reason. It helps with some headcanon. Would I have liked to have seen this much in Picard? Not at the expense of more important things. I smell spinoff. I doubt it. <laughs> mm, no. I don't think so. But an animated series, maybe. I could see this kind of being built out in a short trek. Uh, I would love to see something with Thad, Riker, Troy in a, in a short trek. That'd be amazing. I'm always impressed by the level of detail writers go into behind the scenes to create what we see on screen. In our in our minds of watching that episode, n- we never would have thought that he would have gone that far down that rabbit hole just to help create this character that's never even on screen, but just to help the relationships of the characters from that having had that character in their characters' lives moving forward. On December 19th, 2020, Chris Duhan, son of James Duhan, tweeted that he had been keeping a secret for over 12 years. What was this big secret? Well, back in 2008, his father's ashes were smuggled onto the International Space Station. His father, James Duhan, better known as Chief Engineer Montgomery Scott, died in 2005 at the age of 85, but had always wanted to go to space, so his son Chris concocted a plan to get him there. He enlisted the help of Richard Garriott, who was one of the first private citizens to make it to the ISS. Garriott carried three laminated cards that included some of his ashes, and by his I mean James Doohan, and a photo. One of the cards was brought back to give to Chris and is now framed in his California home. Another card Garriott let float off into space. The other was hidden in the space station's Columbus module. Garriott stated, James Doohan got his resting place among the stars. Man, how cool is that? That's so such a good story. I, I know somebody. You know what? I it's not that hard to send something into space, right? Or at least to or at least to put it into orbit. I've said before that at my funeral, play the priority one theme, and also send my ashes to space. Um, yeah, I think orbit, but like beyond that, it requires some other type of propulsion. But if you want to orbit the Earth, for sure, that's really cool. And he kept the secret for twelve years. I don't know that I could do that. And captains, lastly, before we move on to gaming news, we have a few other headlines worth mentioning that you might have missed during our 
break. First up, the Voyager documentary has been officially announced via a crowdfunding campaign that starts on March 1st. There is a video featuring Garrett Wong. We'll have links to it in our show notes, of course. Also, if you are overseas and you haven't already heard, Star Trek Lower Decks, the animated series by Mike McMahon, is going to finally premiere on Amazon Prime internationally on January 22nd. So, hooray! Finally! Banana. Ah, Frickin' burn me! And finally, John Delancey might have actually teased that he will be returning as Q. Now, in what capacity or to what extent, we are unsure of, but a cameo video was released of him sharing that information with the recipient of the cameo video video. So we may actually see more Q. Who knows where though? Yeah, would that be the cameo E who receives a cameo? You'd be a cameo-er or a cameo E? <laughs> Have you guys ever thought about getting a cameo for someone or wanting to get one from somebody? Uh, I no. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I guess it would depend on who. I guess it would be depend on who. Yeah, I'm like, if Benedict Cumberbatch was offering those up, I might do that. <laughs> having, having worked with actors in the past, I find it incredibly awkward to to do that sort of thing so yeah I, i've never paid for a photo op or um or for an autograph or anything like that yeah it's weird if you work with the people i mean yeah it's i've my i've i've gone and gotten photo ops with friends who have paid for them and then asked me to come with them or invited me and i've gone like i did one with mark hamill bullshit you know what? Put me in touch with these friends because I would bet five bucks they paid for the, the photo and then you were like, you know, I can hold your bag next to you while I'm in the shot if you want. Yeah. I'll, I'll get you in touch. I'll get you in touch. Nope. Never <laughs> happened. And it was only it's only been with two actors and that was Mark Hamill and um, uh, Peter Mayhew who played uh, Chewbacca, the original Chewbacca. From Dallas. Yeah. Well, captains, that's all the news we have to trek out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Congratulations. High score. You're stuck at home. You've gone through your bookshelf twice, and your goldfish don't have any more good Netflix recommendations. Computer, set course for immersion. If the pandemic has been a boon to anything, it has to be online gaming. But this crisis too shall pass, leaving tabletop RPG players wondering, is online play where it'll be at from now on? Are the days of dead tree sourcebooks, clacky dice, and actual physical interactions behind us? Apologies to our vast Vulcan audience, but the answer is a perfectly illogical yes-no. Michael Dismuke's recent poll on the Star Trek Adventures TTRPG Facebook site posed a simple question. How many players would stay online for their STA experiences? The benefits are clear. Recent explosive growth of online STA platform support, relatively easier scheduling, all in the pantsless comfort of your own home. The poll results were mixed, yet somewhat symmetrical. Half of the respondents, 52% technically, said they'd return to mixed platform play, while 18% said they were never going back or had always played online. Finally, 4% said they'd either stay their online platform of choice or never had used them in the first place. But what the community universally appreciates is Star Trek Adventures' unique roots in a hopeful message. As Dismuke noted, quote, while we sit amidst a bed of social unrest, Star Trek promises a better future where the problems of today have been solved in the morrow. 
having players walk away feeling like their characters have made a positive contribution to society is a big plus. Not all RPGs are designed to do this. Thank goodness we have Star Trek Adventures, end quote. With respect to the data set, we can conclude, meh. But people will seek their own ways to the final frontier. We just want them to do it safely. You know, so Lennon, who for our older listeners will have remembered, uh, used to do editing for our show and he would guest host from time to time, uh, put together a Star Trek Adventures group for Priority One. And I was in the first round of it and then things got crazy for me and I wasn't able to do it. And now, Anthony, you're doing it now, right? You're, you're a part of it? Yep. But I'll tell you what. I noticed you left right after I joined. I just... I actually left and then invited you to take my place. So oh, okay. I... I th- <laughs> I I see the the potential like the lore of it right but for me, it's hard to get into it because it's not, I want it to be theater of the mind, right? Like I want it to be like a radio play where we all are just kind of in the role and we're going to do the thing. And it's hard for me to like suddenly stop to figure out, okay, well, Game Master, uh, tell me more about this villain. You know, like it just, sometimes the, the tabletop adventure crawls to a halt where what I want to do is play a role, you know, like an improv a role, so to speak, you know? Um, and that's not what tabletop is. It's not, it's a slow paced adventure. It really is. But that doesn't mean I don't appreciate it. That doesn't mean that, you know, from time to time, I might not, you know, I wouldn't participate in one way, shape or form, maybe for a one-off or something. But uh, yeah, I've, I've, I think I've come to, to terms with the fact that it's, it, it might not be for me. I've never played one. You should but join our game. Maybe I will. I will say this, though. The the best experience I've had thus far has been with Lennon. And it's because, first of all, Lennon has had time to put together the story. And then on top of that, he, he injects sound effects and he injects these you know like if if an alien species is is speaking he'll modulate his voice on his mixer board and all of a sudden he's he sounds completely different and so that's really fun i can get into that and i and i like i i just i want more of that like i always want that and you know excitement and kind of going forward with it you know yeah well there there's also different levels at which a group can play at too and i think a lot of that comes down to like what the group wants to do so if you can find a group that does want to go that far into it and at that level where you don't break character you stay in character you 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 gather all the information you need from the game master in character in the game um you know those are out there i mean you know we we've talked about them before but um the you know the clear skies uh, Star Trek Adventure show and and the new spinoff that they're doing that Zeph Films actually did the intro for they're much more in character but it's it is it's it's the speed too it it can it can sort of slow down but at the same time it's nice to have kind of especially this year to have a nice relaxing sort of here's two hours where I just get to sit pretend I'm in Star Trek and I don't really care how long it takes so hmm. well that's pretty cool I'd try it yeah. well cat it's 2021 and the new year has begun. What's going on in Armada News? Well, I'm happy to say we have had our, well, we have a monthly meeting, but we've also planned out some pretty exciting stuff throughout the year. We have regular events that we throw, like every Thursday we have TFO Thursday. So if you're logging into Stowe and you want to earn marks in Dilithium, you can come hang out with us on Thursdays. You just check the time in your fleet events tab and that will tell you what time it happens in your local time zone. Also, we live stream every Saturday night. So starting this Saturday, join us for the live stream. We
we live stream on Twitch, which is also a pretty good time. We run missions and hang out and talk about the Stow news that happens that week. If you're interested in joining the Armada, just go to PriorityOneArmada.com and submit an application. And so that leads us to our next community question for this episode. Looking ahead to 2021, as Star Trek continues to pop out new television shows and announce new series, when it comes to gaming, what are you looking for in a Star Trek game? What could Star Trek Online do to entice you to come back on a daily, weekly basis? Or do we just need a brand new game? Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by replying to our social media posts. That's the news from Trek Games this week. Now let's look on screen to the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. On screen. Computer. Set Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 12, There is a Tide, on screen. This week on Star Trek Discovery, Osiris deals the Discovery with German efficiency, and like a bunch of Groobers, uh, Goobers, the Emerald Chain takes hostages. Burnham and Book crash the party with Book getting caught again, and Burnham taking to the vents. yippee ki triple f***er. Osira tries to make a deal with Admiral Vance, but leaves with a bad taste in her mouth. Stamets is interrogated by a guy that looks like a Klingon, or another Klingon, or a different Klingon. Meanwhile, Burnham keeps losing items to deep space. First her shoes, then her astromycologist. When all looks lost, the spear data shows up via a few dot .23. When you're Nakatomi, not gonna tell me they aren't the cutest things you've ever seen. Welcome to the party, pals. Come to the Discovery. You'll have a good time. <laughs> have a few drinks. Have a few laughs. <laughs> All right, this episode was written by Kenneth Lynn, directed by fan favorite Jonathan Frakes, and first premiered on December 31st, 2020. All right, so let's jump right in. Kat, why don't you talk to us a little bit about uh, what you enjoyed about this episode? Um, You know, I had some issues with this episode, but I did like Tilly. I know people have been having some issues with her, but I like how she was dealing with uh, the after effects of Osira just taking her ship away. And I really do like Book. I think he does well. All right, so what was it that you didn't like about it? What was it that kind of... Uh, the whole story... <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I, uh, I just wanted to do better with stuff and things come back like the sphere data. What? That just shows up. The sphere data, like Zora wouldn't have helped them not, you know, or keep Osira off the ship. How easy was it for Osira to delete the data from all the computers, but the, the sphere data had to run and hide in the dot 23s? Well, not just that. But, like, didn't they, they couldn't delete the data before, and now all of a sudden it's just going to relocate into some other things? No, they mentioned that there was some data they couldn't do anything with. Mm, I, I just, yeah, there's just some glaring plot holes generally, but, yeah, I, I mean, why does Book keep leaving Grudge on the ship when crazy stuff happens on that ship? I think he should just let Tilly have that cat. <laughs> I watched the episode, and I just... Every time I'm like, I really want to like it so much. And then sometimes it just doesn't work. So, all right. My notes are that the cinematography and visual effects for this are great. I mean, Jonathan Frakes has a remarkable eye. I mean, man, can that man direct. 
and film television. You know, this was definitely die hard in Star Trek. There's just no way around it. And it's imp- I can't imagine that they went through filming this without making die hard jokes, right? So they had to have. Yeah. They had to have. <laughs> and and that's okay. That's fun and exciting. And and again, I thought that it was all filmed very well. The the again, he just knows how to frame a camera and frame a scene. He also knows how to work with a script. I mean, abs- he just he's. Jonathan Frakes, man, I just want him to direct everything. I also want to give a call out to the casting for this episode, and or at least the focus of the characters of this episode, because I noticed immediately that everybody who had a speaking line in the uh, Federation Starbase was a person of color. So you had an Asian woman in the beginning where they're trying to figure out what the Discovery's doing. You have, obviously, Odin Fur, who's playing the, the Starfleet Admiral. You have his assistant, uh, or the second in command and then when they go to confront Osira and she finally beams aboard to Starfleet Academy it is front and center three people of color it was great I loved it I absolutely loved it so these subtle things that aren't in your face I noticed I picked up and I said that's cool that's awesome also a shout out to Kenneth Mitchell and casting Kenneth Mitchell, if you don't already know, has played several Klingons in Star Trek Discovery, including an older and younger version of him, of the Klingon, or, or like the grandfather and the father. It's, it's weird. But anyway, he's played three different roles on Star Trek Discovery already, and they brought him back. If you follow him, like I said, he's been diagnosed with ALS. He's already starting to use assisted mobility. And the fact that they brought him on shows a loyalty to the actors that you don't often see in other productions. I mean, you know, thankfully he has not progressed in ALS so far that he was incapable of doing the show, but that he was still able to, and they brought him back and they wrote a character for him. Or they cast him in the role and adapted it, which speaks volumes of what's going on behind the scenes in terms of their loyalty to their actors. So, you know what? Shout out. Shout out to whoever's in charge of that, uh, whether it's the casting director, whether it's the production staff. That, that j- Good move. Good move, man. Like, just way to go. I loved it. And as a note, he played Tenevik, the son of, and that was what you were referring yeah. to, that he played the older version, Tenevik, as the time crystal guy that they go to get the time crystal from. Okay, so let me talk about what I didn't like about the episode. Burnham is driving me up the wall, the, the way they're writing her character. Just earlier this episode, she goes rogue. She tries to save Book. She try, she she defies the Federation. She defies Saru. Even her, Saru and Tilly are like, WTF, mate? Why is she doing this again? I thought she might have grown. And yet Stamets is pleading with her to save his family. And she throws him out an airlock. Not to die. He wore a, you know, magic space bubble. But, like... How dare you? How dare you be that kind of person that will, you get to do whatever you want, but when somebody else needs to bend the rules and break the rules, you're not going to back them up. You're not going to be like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I, you know, I've gone after somebody I've loved and tried to protect them, but you, no, you can't. I mean, that's just, that drives me up the wall. Yeah. I mean, like that literally just happened in the last episode, right? Or two episodes ago when she goes to say book and I had to, Tilly, I had to. That's just hypocrisy. That's just absolute hypocrisy. And it, there's, I don't see anything to justify it. Well, she is saving the entire Federation by keeping. But she has, but she has put the entire Federation at risk before. That has never stopped her from doing something stupid no, she, before. I, I, I mean, I disagree. I don't think she's she. She took she took 
Book's ship to go save Book. She didn't take the Discovery and, and have the Discovery in a position of being compromised, and that's what she's trying to prevent in this situation. I don't disagree. She's but separate. the Shenzo? What about the Shenzo? Well, yeah, but that she understands that that was a mistake. Does she? That was the whole first, that was the whole first season arc. I mean, look, main characters in Star Trek bucking authority and making what they feel is the right call goes all the way back to Kirk. The, the problem is that she's the epitome of that and she does it all the time. But she chooses this one time to not do that? Right. No, she is. She's She thinks she's making the right call in saving the Federation by keeping Discovery out of us, by keeping Paul Stamets off Discovery, which would give Osira the ability to jump Discovery away. That's what she's trying to I, Look, I totally get it. I totally get it. I totally understand why she did it and that the needs of the many out, outweighed the needs of the few. But golly, she's really wishy-washy with that phrase, with that, that, that mantra. It's only when it suits her personal agenda. And if that's not what they're intending to display, I'm having, well, I'm having a hard time seeing whatever moral they're trying to show us here. And lastly, I'll say this. If I were to do anything different about this season of Discovery is I would not introduce Osira as the main baddie. I would have rather kept Zara or whatever his name is, the guy that, that we were introduced with in the second episode in that bar. That actor was sleazy, disgusting, and evil. And I would have loved, if I would have written this season, I would have flipped it where it was like, we discover that he is in fact the leader of the chain gang. Or on the other side of it, then let Osira have been the main baddie in that bar but nobody recognizes her. She's, you know, she's like a, you know, you know, as as the minister of the Orion Syndicate, you know, nobody really knows what she looks like. You know, she, you know, she wants to protect herself and then have her come back and, oh, shit, she's the leader of the entire syndicate, right? I think that was a missed opportunity. Instead, mid-season, they try to introduce yet another villain in, in Discovery when you had already introduced a really good villain in the first part of the season. So I would have done that differently. Overall, again, beautifully shot, beautifully directed. Tilly's performance was fantastic. I hope that we get to see Saru have that kind of moment where he takes command and he's, you know, this is what we're going to do. Tilly tells them, We make it to the bridge no matter what. That means that if somebody falls, we keep going. Understood? That's crazy. I can't believe Tilly said that. Damn, girl. Yeah. It had moments. I enjoyed it. But when I pulled back from it, it lacked quite a bit. I mean, I think Saru had that moment at the end of season two when he takes command of Discovery to help get Burnham through the wormhole. I think that's his moment for that. As far as this episode goes, I I mean, I've I've really been enjoying this season. I think it's definitely had some rocky moments, but I, I really love what they're doing with the characters. The overarching sort of sci-fi plot that's getting everybody where they need to be is a little wonky. I'll agree on that. And I, I don't disagree that, that Burnham's not hypocritical, but I think she she's making whatever call she feels is the best in that moment for that situation. And unfortunately, it's one way in one episode and a different way in a different episode. But as far as this episode goes, I, I actually, uh, I mean, yeah, Tilly is probably the best thing that's been happening in the last few episodes. This is not the first time Star Trek has done Die Hard. Does anybody remember the first Die Hard episode? Picard. Yeah, Picard and the, with the Baryon sweep. Barry sweep yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. I forgot to mention. I just remembered. I'm like, I can't believe I forgot. And I had this in my notes. Apple shit. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. That was the best moment of the whole show. Yeah. I've never eaten a real apple. Well, how sad. Apples are a thing of beauty. It's made of our shit, you know. 
That's the base material that we use in our replicators. We deconstruct it to the atomic level and then reform the atoms. It's pretty good for shit. And we don't have to commit atrocities for it. <laughs> that, Why did we not talk about that before now? That, oh my God. That exchange between uh, Admiral Vance and Osira uh, was amazing. Yes! I don't mind Osira. I think she's growing on me. One of the things I loved about this episode was it really gave depth to Osira's character. And and to be honest, I did not feel like she was a big bad like villain, like evil villain until she shot uh, Rin, Rin at the end right in front of Aurelio. Yes. That's the moment where I said, okay, she's gotten real dangerous right now. And and Aurelio now knows it. And I and I assume that he's going to maybe help in the, in the final episode. But I think that I, that was the first time I really was like, oh, wow, she's really a threat now because she, she had an opportunity to get what she wanted. But in the end, she doesn't really care about what she's talking about with Vance, with the Armistice what she cares about is is keeping some form of control or to be important in some form after you know after a reunification of sorts I'll be honest with you the diehard stuff I was a little I was a little over it when they pulled when whatever she was fighting that minion and they pulled her shoes off and she was barefoot I know I thought that too I was like I was like <laughs> all right guys I think we've gone a touch overboard. I think if they hadn't, if if the episode Starship Mine from TNG didn't exist, I might have appreciated this more. But I, I felt like, you know, you've already done this. Like, why do we need to do it again? Like, is this, you know, why not just make this the Christmas episode too while you're at it? Like, <laughs> I, I just, I was like, all right, guys. Like, I I appreciate, you know, you know, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Everything that happened, like when she gets stabbed and she had the limp, like I was like, all right, this is cool. But like, let's not push it too much it's like all she needed to do was write on the guy's shirt now i have a phaser rifle ho 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 <laughs> I, I was like i was like why not you're already there you might as well do it right i mean let's go um to be honest this is this is my least favorite jonathan frakes episode he's ever done out of all of Star Trek. Aww. No, I just, and I, the I, last one he did was my least favorite. Yeah. I think the problem is is that this episode is the middle of a three-part finale. And I think that's why it didn't quite work as well as as the rest of the season for me and or the rest of Jonathan Frakes' episodes. I felt like there was just a lot of service in areas that it didn't need to be and I I feel like this is they're stretching us to get to the last episode and I felt that way a little bit with the with the Mary Universe two-parter I felt like that kind of could have been one episode instead of two so I'm looking forward to the final episode to the fi finale of the season uh end of season four but I you know I mean overall I've been liking this season and you know this was an okay episode that wraps up this week's on screen for Star Trek Discovery now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and even though we took a two-week break, you did not fail us. Now, we are ready to receive your incoming messages. Last week's community question was, what do you think of the Emerald Chain? Are they menacing, or do they leave something to be desired? Aggressively relaxing writes, I was so impressed by Osira in episode 12. Her ruthless approach that has given her the ability to give a better life to others forces her to show her true colors when she can't have it all. I really hope they stick the landing. Also from Twitter, Ken from Chicago says, Emerald Chain and Osira take a big step up from Sanctuary and are a lot more menacing in Sukal. And there is a tide. Osira puts her money where her mouth is and walks the talk. The regulators didn't ignore Morse code and have non-energy weapons as backup. 
Again from Twitter, Melinda Hill, PhD, replies, The Emerald Chain is like any economic system that ignores the laws of the universe by violating human rights. Karma has a way of biting the chain in the butt. Thing is, only a few people can see and understand this lesson. Even the Klingons knew when they were defeated. Well, that wraps up episode 491 of Priority One a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. And we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, and Gerald Bosch. And here's a reminder of our community questions this week. Has Saru earned our level of reverence as Picard, Kirk, Cisco, Janeway? And if 2021 brought you a new Star Trek game, what do you hope it would be? Or what sweeping changes would you like to see in Star Trek Online? Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, Panda, Gray, me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, whether you're new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. During these difficult times, we are humbled by the continued support of our patrons who find value in the content that we produce each and every week. Visit us at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, Brandon, William, Rand, Daniel, Roscoe, Lennon, and Skiffy. Thanks to our producer, Jake, and associate producers, Shane and Thomas. Together, they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our social media manager, Anthony, and guest host. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry, with support from Jason of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Engage. Yeah, make it radio. Um...
good radio. <laughs> Mike, uh, <laughs> I got nothing. That was that was some good radio. Sorry, dogs are barking because other dogs are barking. All right, hold on. Let me yell at them. And eventually adopted as the ship's unofficial slang. Unofficial, Mr. Mr. Slurry. Slurry McSlurry with your rosé Moscato. It's (laughs) Mosca Rosa. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, I want to see that. Ooh, nice. It's very red, but I think it's a little bubbly. The link will necessarily be in the show notes. Is that right? Is that even a... Oh, Panda, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the link will be in the show notes there's a tolkien-esque level oh sociopolitical okay. jesus panda you gotta use all these big words yeah he does <laughs> i've said before that at my funeral play the priority one theme and also send my ass ash asses <laughs> <laughs> literally send my asses to space send my ashes to space Immersion. That was the best Elio impression I could do. I actually don't say it that way. I go, immersion. My immersion. Um, And there's, oh, maybe I'm not very good at winging it. <laughs> Yippee-ki-yay, triple fuck. <laughs> Can't do it. I told you, it's worth it. She's it's so, so good. She's, you're, you're so bashful right, about it. Come on, give me a good triple. F- <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to do it again? Do it just yippee yippee ki Haven't you seen him say it? You've seen you've seen Die Hard, right? It's my favorite Christmas movie. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.